My city? You will only find the name of my city on maps of a certain age. After all that has happened there, no one wanted to remember the name. Even its own people sought to obliterate it from history. I fled and came here to Cardiff and found work on the docks. But for me, there is no forgetting. For me, Brabant is a nightmare that endlessly calls from the shadows. The first sign was when the bears came, strange creatures that no one had ever seen in the land that came prowling from the distant mountains. Ravens and crows came in great numbers too. Haunted-looking horses and wild dogs. And with them came the understanding that some menace was at work in the far-off lands. Some dark magic was in the air, and the consequences were coming our way. These were the first stirrings of a wind that would become a hurricane. Here in Brabant, there were accusing rumors and strange things heard at night. There were dark rituals behind closed shutters, with everyone suspecting their neighbor. Fear and wide-eyed madness by guttering candlelight. A shadow was spreading in the land. Some whispered that it was all the fault of Count Talramund, whose castle overshadowed everything in the town. His wife, Ortrud, had long been rumored to be a sorceress, and except for Talramund's brutal soldiers, none who were summoned to the castle were ever seen again. Inside its immense walls, we could glimpse only the fires that burned day and night, the light flickering on a solitary black tower standing tall at its center. None ever saw Talramund himself, and none dared speak openly against him. And then, one day, with the hard grey sky overhead, it finally began. Like some terrible omen in a dream, we watched powerless as, approaching from the far-off mountainous lands, an immense black carriage drawn by eight black horses crossed the plain and moved towards us. As we watched, a herald came thundering along the banks of the river Scheldt, clad in blackened armor with a bone-white face that looked like death. He rode like a creature possessed. Before anyone could react, he was inside the city walls, riding through the streets up to the castle itself. A row of forty of the Count's most fearsome guards assembled to meet him. He stopped before them, coldly silent, a presence straight from a nightmare. The rasping breath of his horse was the only sound to be heard, but suddenly he let out a cry that made our blood into shattered ice. I am sent by King Heinrich, and the king will see Count Telramund.
We knew the king only by reputation. His lands extended east as far as maps ranged. As his chariot drew nearer, so our dread grew into madness. Among the horses that drew the carriage was a beast no one had ever seen before. It had a huge eagle-like head and a powerful body that bore hard black leathery wings. A creature known only from books. A griffin, people cried, disbelieving their eyes. The chariot came to rest just outside the city, and here we witnessed its terrifying magnificence. Covered in jagged, jet-black teeth, wrought from twisted iron, and bearing a castellated platform on which stood heavily armed guards bearing the same blackened armor and the deathly face as the herald. They stood silently, like living specters, and rumors quickly spread that they had come from hell itself, that Telramund had made a pact with Diabolos, and Diabolos had come to collect. Suddenly, the guards blew into horns, making an unholy sound like the cry of some hellish beast below the earth. And in the menacing silence that followed, we heard the iron-shod footsteps of King Heinrich himself. Guards swung back a heavy-framed door bearing his crest, and he emerged in an armor of gold, bearing on his head a crown of black and gold skulls, pierced with shards of iron. We cowered behind the city walls, sensing the terror of Telramun's guards as they marched out of the main gates, row on row, down to meet the king at the banks of the Scheldt. There was no mistaking the count when he came. His face looked harsh, almost inhuman, as though it had been cast from burnished metal. There was no fear in him, no flicker of emotion of any kind. He rode confidently towards the king's party, polished steel armor gleaming under the darkening gray sky. Orchard rode at his side, surveying the crowds with black, bewitching eyes. On the other side, he pulled a young girl by a chain. The crowd watched in shock. We all recognized her, a child member of the nobility, a picture of natural innocence. But now she seemed lost utterly to her own world. She staggered and stumbled against her shackles as Telramund dragged her down the slope pitilessly. This is she, he proclaimed before he reached the king. This, my lord, is Elsa. It is she who slayed her own brother, Gottfried. I have the confession from our own lips. It is she who has brought this curse on our land. We all gasped. Gottfried was the heir to the dukedom of Brabant. Now he lay dead by the hand of this girl who seemed all but a child. King Heinrich looked at her gravely. Elsa of Brabant, I am here to bring justice. I will stand as your liberator or your executioner. Is what Count Telramund says true? The girl only looked at the ground. My poor brother. She whispered to herself. Is it true? In my dreams, in my deepest despair, I prayed, and a great and virtuous knight came and saved me. The girl made for a lost, wretched sight, and the king's pitiless gaze came to rest on Telramund. His eyes were hard. You are certain of this, Telramund? Telramund's voice was angry. This, my lord, this dreamy act, is what she regales us with when it suits her. 
I stand by my accusation. If anyone here holds differently, he maligns my honor. At this, Telramund drew his sword. And if anyone malign my honor, here is my answer. But the king gestured for Telramund to put down his sword. You have been a loyal servant and a defender of Brabant, Count Telramund. Your honor is not in question. He returned his gaze to Elsa. The girl remained bowed in prayer and said nothing. The king pulled out his sword and stepped towards her. The sky was full of anger. Elsa, for the sake of your soul, it would be better to confess now. Did you kill your brother? The girl still said nothing, and when the king raised his mighty sword high above his head and began speaking in a solemn tone, Elsa of Brabant, you are guilty of the murder of your brother Gottfried by your own confession. The crowd cried out and covered their eyes, knowing that in a moment they would hear the swift blow and the sound of her decapitated body collapsing to the ground. For some reason, I looked up and then I heard my own cry. Look! There, circling high above, came a giant winged beast, black against the darkening clouds. Its wings made a low thundering sound as they beat the sky. Then, suddenly, it reached forward with its long thin neck, folded its wings back and gave a cry out of Hades itself as it dived towards us. People were too astonished even to scream. Just before it hit the ground, it stretched its vast wings once more, sending a blast of air before it and landed softly on the ground before Telramund. It had a long swan-like neck and dense black plumage with huge eyes that were all too human, too knowing. Its gaze was forceful, regal. On its back, it bore a knight clad in black armor, ominously still and silent. And in this extraordinary scene came an extraordinary sound, the sound of laughter. The girl laughed hysterically. My dream, this was my dream. She pulled at her chains, oblivious to the bloodied chafing of her restraints. Count Tullramund wrenched her back mercilessly, watching her fall to the ground, where she clutched and ripped at the mud to get closer to the beast. Seeing this, the beast hissed angrily at Tullramund and moved towards him. But even as Telramund backed away, Ortrud stepped forward, placing herself between them. Her fist gripped a black amulet, and she uttered furious incantations under her breath. The beast halted as if someone had fired an arrow into its heart. Its hiss became a dying gasp. But the knight, who until now had sat so still, suddenly clapped his hands together, and there came a sound like mighty thunder. Ortrud was thrown back into the mud, and with that, he leapt down from the beast with his sword drawn. He slashed it angrily through the air, and Elsa stood free of her shackles. The girl pulled herself to her feet and looked around with astonishment, as though seeing everything for the first time. She spoke in a fragile voice. I have been made to say goodbye to everything I held dear. To my freedom, to my parents, to my sisters and to my dear, dear brother Gottfried. Locked in the Black Tower, living under the dark spell of Otterud, night and day. One by one, my hopes have been trodden into the dirt. The only thing left has been my dreams, and they have been more real to me than my waking, until now. She gazed up at the night, as though she might still be dreaming. 
He removed his helmet and revealed a swathe of dark curling hair and dark eyes with a divine purity that I had only witnessed in the paintings of saints at the cathedral. Elsewhere gasped, and so did many of the women who watched from behind the wall. She and the knight gazed at one another, not like strangers, but like lovers reunited after many years. Finally, the knight spoke. Elsa of Brabant, you know me from your dreams. I am sent to stand champion for a maid calumnied by a grievous charge. If I find favour in your sight, and I am appointed your champion, will you, without doubts or fears, entrust yourself to my protection? Elsa laughed and danced to herself in the mud. Of course I will. I am already sworn to you. I have seen you in my dreams since I was just a child. A thousand times you have led me out of darkness and I have wept. Through all these years, always, you were my rescuer and champion. My dreams have been more real to me than my waking until now. Finally, when I thought I would come to join you through my death, you have come to me in my waking. If this is my waking and not another dream, I have known you, I have held you, I have wept in your arms. And yet you remain a stranger to me. I have never so much as known your name. But at this, the knight raised his hand and shook his head gravely. Elsa, you must trust your dreams. You must not question them. I know you so strongly desire to know who I am, but none may know my name. Even to ask me this will undo the unseen thread that binds us. You can trust these dreams, Elsa, but the price of that trust is to never ask my name. Solemnly, I charge you, will you swear to that? The girl looked confused, but she spoke loudly and clearly. I do swear. At this, the knight smiled and turned to the crowd. Now here, to you, peoples and nobles, I proclaim, Elsa of Brabant is free of all guilt. Heaven's judgment shall make it known that your charge is false, Count Telramund. He turned to Telramund. So, Count, you have heard her confession, yes? And with Gottfried murdered by his own sister, the heirs to the dukedom are both gone. Who will rule now? Perhaps it should be you, Telramund. In fact, with both of them out of the way, is there any other contender? Telramund's reply was swift. He spurred his horse forward straight at the knight, swinging his sword in a great arc. But the knight simply ducked with a wry smile. Telramund turned his horse furiously and the knight turned to face him. But as he turned, Ortrud stepped forward and spat into the air. A horrible glistening yellow orb spun aloft and landed at his shoulder. The armor beneath immediately hissed and melted away as if struck by burning copper. He cried out and clutched his shoulder as Telramund spurred his horse at him once again. Sparks flew as their swords clashed and the knight fell backward into the mud. His sword fell from his hand, leaving him defenseless as he rolled aside at the very last moment to avoid being trampled. Telramund rounded again and charged the horse with all his might. But just as he looked defeated, the knight sprang upward and seized Telramund's foot as he passed, pulling him off balance. He struggled vainly as the horse galloped on, but the heavy armor sent him thundering to the ground with a violent shock. The knight quickly regained his sword and strode towards Telramund. Once again, Ortrud moved at his back, raising her amulet high above her, but before she could act, the swan beast struck at her. 
its sharp metallic beak looking as though it would cut her in two. She spun instantly and deflected the great beast with a single authoritative shout. It roared as if mortally stung, beating its great wings, careening into the air in perilous flight. But Ortrud turned back to discover she was already too late. Telramund lay in the mud with a sword at his throat. She let out a hard, strangled moan that became the rattling hiss of a cornered snake, raising the amulet again. Then, as though it had suddenly gained the weight of a statue, she fell back with a shriek and lay powerless, her mouth open in astonishment. The reason became clear. The king stood on the deck with a long black mace pointed at her. He looked back to the knight whose sword was still pressed against Telramund's throat and nodded, assenting to his summary execution. The whole crowd cheered loudly. There was not one of us who would shed a tear at the end of Telramund. We were witnesses to the end of an era of evil. But to our dismay, the knight pulled up his sword and stepped back. I will spare him. King Heinrich seemed puzzled but nodded. I have seen enough. Elsa is free. Telramund, you have lied on your honor to your king. You are spared your life only because that is the judgment of the knight. But you are henceforth banished from Brabant. My soldiers will have order to execute you if you are found anywhere in the kingdom. Telramund's guards were well trained. With no discernible signal, they grasped Elsa, who screamed piteously. Ortrud threw a handful of dust in the direction of the king's men, and from nowhere, a great muster of crows filled the air. In the confusion of shouts and swinging swords, Telramund's party galloped at full speed back behind the walls of the city, closing the heavy gates behind them. So began the siege of Brabant. The king's men and horses spread out, forming a ring of steel around the city. By nightfall, another thousand had arrived. No one could enter. No one could leave. Telramund's soldiers wasted no time in instigating a reign of terror. The roar of the crowd as he lay in the mud with a sword at his throat was still loud in Telramund's ears. All food, livestock, armaments and valuables were packed onto carts and taken to the castle. Anything left over, the guards took for themselves. People deemed fit enough were bound in chains and taken away. Those not fit enough or simply not needed were slaughtered where they stood, or worse, far worse. Beasts howled in the city after nightfall. Rabid wolves were seen 
and there were rumors of tall, devil-faced men in the streets with black, inhuman eyes marching at night, carrying the shield of Telramund. Like everyone else, I entered those streets with utter dread. Just to get water from the wells was to risk death. Many found it, crossing the street, trying to find food, trying to flee the city. Some simply starved behind the shutters. But it was not in the street that trouble came my way. One day, without a warning, a fist pounded my door. In the name of I knew I had only seconds. If the guards caught me, I, like the others, would wish for death long before it came to me. The barricaded door wouldn't hold long. I quickly drew the bench from the far wall, ripped aside the hessian cloth, and pulled myself through the narrow gap into the darkness of the storm. The fist pounded harder behind me. As swiftly and silently as I could, I moved to the far side of the room, knowing the punishment for trying to escape would be horrifying. Now, they battered the door with a heavy oak beam. It groaned and quickly gave way. The guards entered and immediately saw my escape route. They began forcing themselves through the gap, but for a moment, their heavy armor prevented them. Axes came to bear in a barrage of blows while on the far side of the storm, I pulled myself through an open hatch down into the fuel store, cursing each creaking wooden step as I groped my way into the dank blackness. Behind me, I could hear the wood splintering and the guards loudly entering the store. In moments, their eyes would grow loose to the light and they would see the open hatch to where I now hid. More guards ran outside to cut off any escape. I crawled across the floor until the faint light of the heavy outer doors stood above me. I could hear heavy feet and hooves moving through the endless mud outside, but there was no way to know what awaited me on the other side. I summoned all my might and pushed up against the hatch. Nothing. The rusted iron bolt on the outside creaked lightly with the strain. Then, with a chilling realization, I noticed the guards in the storeroom had grown suddenly quiet. And to my horror, I saw their silhouettes, already at the base of the steps, moving silently towards me with swords drawn. I forced my hand between the jagged edges of metal that separated the doors. Agonizing pain raced down my arm. The bolt was heavy and rusted, but my desperate fingers came to rest on the ring, and with every ounce of strength, I wrenched it back and sprang upward, driving the doors apart and landing in the mud and filth of the street. The guards had not yet come to the back of the house, but behind me, they quickly scrambled up from the hatch, shouting loudly to their comrades. I kicked the heavy door with all my might and felt horror mixed with relief as the jagged metal caught the first soldier full in the face and sent him backwards with a scream. I ran. I ran as I'd never run before. Along the route I had pictured so many times in my mind, sprinting for my life, hearing the shouts of guards multiplying behind me. The narrow alley was empty for now, but they were following me fast. I dared not slow for a second. I ran wildly, madly, even though I knew the alley was no escape. It led to the main square, certain to be filled with Telramund's men. I had seen this scene in a nightmare, again and again. Last, just as I reached sight of the square, I saw what I prayed would still be there. The creeper grew high up the walls of the Rastupa, the courthouse. I had climbed it as a child and been beaten for it, but now it might save my life. Getting toeholds where I could, swinging violently back and forth, I pulled myself up onto the first sloping rooftop, still perilously in view of the street below. 
The harsh shouts of the soldiers came from just below me. I lay flat and pulled myself higher without daring to look down. The alarm was spreading. The guard had been wounded and the troops crowded the streets, bent on vengeance. Then, as I reached for the ridge of the second roof, my grip slipped. I began to slide back down, back towards the street. Somehow, at the last, I found a grip and, finally, I pulled myself onto the second roof and then the third. It was flatter and less exposed. From here, I climbed a series of ledges and at last I came to the back of the facade high up above the street that faced out onto the main square. For the moment, I had escaped them. I crawled to the ledge, keeping myself as flat as possible. Before me was a view across all of Brabant, poor, ravaged Brabant. Bodies lay in the streets unburied or hung for makeshift gallows. Houses were ransacked and burned, and an endless stream of carts carried plundered goods. And at the center of everything, Telramund's mighty castle rose up, exuding menace, and within the walls I could see the Black Tower itself, a malign and unassailable presence, lit by the fires of the furnace beneath that burned day and night, writhing with ceaseless activity. The moat was black and clogged with bodies, Hordes of soldiers moved back and forth across the drawbridge. And beyond the city walls, the bucolic green I knew so well had vanished, replaced by a seething mass of black figures, busy in deadly activity. The last army of King Heinrich, thousand upon thousand, encamped all around the city, waiting. I fell on my back and gazed up at the sky. I do not know how long I lived on that roof. I sheltered in an overhang behind the facade. The skies barely let up raining and I became good at collecting water, but with no food other than the crows that occasionally took me for just one more corpse, I quietly starved. And yet from my position I saw everything, more even than the king. The massing of demon-faced troops behind the walls of Brabant talking in hard, short-clipped languages, their heavy boots echoing in the empty city streets. I even saw Telramund himself surveying the scene from the battlements. And beyond the fortified walls, I watched the fleets of black-sailed Dromond ships sail down the Scheldt, carrying ever more soldiers and shield maidens from the north. The silently spreading black shadow of troops waiting for the order to take the city. The white ships of the Vitaviven came too, the wise women, said to be elven beings, seen at times of great peril, medicine healers and herbalists, bringing succor. Distantly, I could make out the king's carriage itself and the griffin, standing guard at all times. Twice, I saw Elsa walking the filthy streets, with Othrud whispering dark incantations in her ear, guiding her firmly with an arm around her shoulder, the poor girl's mouth hanging slack as though she had lost her wits. And numberless times in the sky, high above, I watched the winged beast circling, 
the knight trying to find his long-lost Elsa. He would sweep low over the city, calling out to her, defying the hordes of soldiers and swatting away flying arrows as though they were swarms of gnats. But Orthrud had some power over the beast, and her incantations nearly brought it to ruin each time. Some days, terrible, angry faces would appear and stare down at the city from the clouds without explanation, creating a terrible foreboding. The wind would howl in the night, and on it I would hear voices, names spoken amid dark incantations as though curses were being placed. The city grew silent, waiting. The sights of carts taking goods to the castle had long since ceased. Food had run out, and the city had been turned into a macabre garrison manned by corpses and the unholy army of Torah. By the time I had seen my second full moon, I was too weak to comprehend anymore. Before the final battle came the drumming. It was the sound of doom, a heavy, relentless pulse that continued unabated day and night, signaling the last call to arms. I remember it as one remembers a chilling nightmare. The deep sense of terror will live with me forever. I was happy to leave it behind. Amidst the terrible noise and confusion and battles fought all around, I slipped into a last unconsciousness. Darkness swallowed me. That anyone found me amidst the carnage and burning buildings seemed a miracle. In fact, it was the knight himself who had given instructions that I be rescued from the roof. I woke outside the city, in the encampment of the Vitavivan. I could not recognize the bearded scarecrow that stared back from my reflection. But the encampment was magical. A seemingly endless series of courtyards, each with a fountain at its center, and filled with different hues of light from colored glass. And in each, a member of the Vitavivan sat surrounded by the infirm, playing an instrument or singing softly for them, the music carefully chosen for specific ills. Whether these were elves, nuns, angels, or wise women, I never knew. I only knew that they were great healers who tended those too weak to have hope. That, little by little, a lost future was restored to us. Here I learned that the battle had raged for 12 days, half starved, 
Terramoon's men and even Ortrud's sorcery were outmatched and overwhelmed. The fight had been led by the knight, who, in the course of battle, had become known simply by the name Indomitable, as, again and again, he had fought against overwhelming odds and won. I gazed back at the city in amazement. Gaping holes in walls rent apart with unimaginable force, buildings charred and blackened. Telramun's mighty army had been defeated at huge cost. Around the city, vast funeral pyres still smoldered. But there was no doubt that Brabant was under the authority of the king, and the knight was now his worthy champion. In the blackened ruins of the castle, he had at last plucked Elsa from the grasp of Ortrud, destroying her cavernous labyrinth within the Black Tower itself. I even saw Elsa herself. She walked through the courtyards, visiting the sick, thanking everyone for their part in her rescue. She seemed a thing sent to earth from heaven to show forth a miracle. The king's army had not stood down. There were sinister rumors. It was said that Telramund and Orthrud had perished in the final incendiary blaze of the castle, but the lack of bodies gave rise to dark reports that somehow they had survived. Some claimed to have seen Orthrud walking the streets, Still others claim to have seen Telramund himself riding on the far shore of the Scheldt. Yet, even if this were true, their armies were defeated. The presence of King Heinrich's troops was vast and overwhelming. Elsa insisted that all survivors of the siege were welcome at the wedding. It would mark the final closing of a dark chapter and the beginning of a hopeful new time. When the day came, I left the courtyards of the Vitafeven, feeble but determined, and, at last, returned within the walls of Brabant. Its barely recognizable streets were still stained with the smell of death an ownerless flotsam of filthy rags, broken furniture, orphaned dolls, torn books, and unpaired shoes clogged the streets, marking the finger lines in the dust of an era we wished only to forget. But at the center of the city, an incomprehensible transformation had taken place. A new island rose above a wide, swift-flowing river. With the exception of the ruins of the Black Tower, which still stood tall and ominous at the center, Telramund's castle had been reduced to heap stones and a few ruined walls that jutted harmlessly amidst a lush green grass that was decked with all manner of flowers and garlanded with ribbons, flags, and mistletoe. On the island stood table after table of delicacies. Venison, beef, boar, cheese, forest fruit, beer and wine. And there were entertainments from across the region and beyond. Crossing the bridge to this new island was to cross a boundary of the soul, as much as the city. People walked with tears in their eyes, with mouths agape. Horsemen in full ceremonial armor flanked King Heinrich, obdurate and undefeated as he processed gravely through the streets on a soaring black stallion, 
with a troop of his spectre-like guards surrounding him. They crossed the bridge onto the island as bells tolled across the city and heralds rode through the streets proclaiming the wedding with blaring trumpets. The swan beast stood proudly beside the knight, who awaited his bride in front of a great assemblage of guests. At last we saw her. She emerged from a golden carriage with twenty of the Vitafifan at her side. They sang in a soft, seemingly wordless tongue, carrying the train of her graceful pure white dress behind her. As she walked, she radiated a presence so innocent and untainted that, at long last, we felt the full darkness of the siege. The North Star revealed to travelers who finally understood how lost they had been. And so it was, after so much pain, beneath the ruins of the Black Tower, King Heinrich himself joined the knight with his Elsa in marriage, with the blessing and rejoicing of all of Brabant. It was as the king bent his prayers to the sky that I understood that something was terribly wrong. Elsa possessed the same expression I had seen when Ortrud had led her around the city whispering dark sorcery in her ear. With a sudden jerky movement she looked up, her eyes wide as though the entire scene was both new and alarming to her. Wait! She cried. Wait! How can I know this isn't a trick? The knight looked troubled, recognizing some sorcery at work. This is no trick, Elsa. He made to place a finger tenderly at her lips, but she snatched it away as though it might be something poisoned. I do not know who you are! This is a trick! Elsa, be calm. This is no trick. Then tell me who you are. Why do you not tell me who you are? The knight held up his hand to stop her, but it was too late. What is your name? The knight's face froze in horror. Elsa, what have you done? You swore. Before he could continue, a flaming brand arced through the sky, descending directly into the crowd. At the final moment, we saw its mark. The knight slashed his sword upward, causing a flash that blinded us. When our eyes recovered, we saw the flaming brand for what it was. A man three times the size of the knight stood, wreathed in fire. He rained down heavy blows at astonishing speed. The ground shuddered with each impact as the knight darted between them, barely outmatching the swiftness of his attacker. Faster and faster they went, the knight spinning around in a final dizzying dance of death. We watched, unable to breathe. The contest grew closer and closer, then finally the knight moved no more. The hammer blows of flame rained down on him as he was forced backwards and off balance, his sword held out over his head. The end was inevitable, and with one last dreadful stroke, there came a flash of light and a deafening roar of thunder. Then, silence. The knight was defeated. His body lay charred within his crushed and ruined armor. His vanquisher bellowed triumphantly, and as he turned towards us, so, in horror, we recognized the unyielding, merciless face of Telramund, charcoal black beneath the flames. And from high above us in the ruins of the Black Tower came the self-satisfied laugh to Vortrud, too delighted to contain her cackling. Finish me! She screamed. Behold the mirror of the new king of the east! And with that, Telramund stormed forward towards King Heinrich, 
Arrows rained down upon him, making no impression. The fearless heralds blocked his way, but were easily swept away. And before the griffin could be unleashed, Telramund let loose a blazing spear that impaled the mighty beast where it stood. Ortrud screamed her incantations from the tower, and the king's mace fell from his hand with the weight of a block of stone. It only took a matter of moments, and the king stood, one defenseless man before his malevolent successor. Alone but undaunted, the king smiled up grimly at Telramund. So be it. Telramund drew back his immense sword, but from nowhere a man came running at his back. He was pitifully burned and wounded, yet he raced fearlessly towards his certain doom, carrying only a dagger. As he leapt from an upturned cart high onto the burning back of Telramund, I understood. Somehow, the knight had survived. He was swallowed in flames as he climbed, slashing his dagger in desperation. From above, Orthrud's cries scarred the air with blasphemous venom. Each word scraped and cut like a blade slicing at rock, and at this, great orbs of flame soared into the sky from Telramund, each one engulfing the knight who clung on piteously. The knight's defeat was imminent when Ortrud's cries were suddenly stifled. Consumed with her actions, she had not seen the swan beast dive upon the tower, and now her broken body was carried off in its beak like a ruined Knight regained his movement, seizing Telramund's neck and slashing at it again and again. All became silent, and in the silence we watched Telramund's headless body topple backwards and hit the ground in a great explosion of ash. Before the king lay the broken remains of the knight's body. As he bent over it in prayer, we saw in amazement a perfect white dove appear above it. It flew past the king into the air, to the coward, weeping figure of Elsa, and then on upward, higher and higher into the heavens, until at last it vanished from sight. Lundgren, came a voice behind us. The source of the voice was incredulous to us. Before our very eyes, the winged beast dissolved, and there stood a man we had long since thought dead. He spoke again. His name was Lohengrim. Elsa convulsed into tears of disbelief. Gottfried! My poor brother! Even the king looked astonished. Gottfried spoke gravely. Protected by the knight, Telramund could not kill me. So Ortrud used her sorcery to bind me to the form of a swan, blaming my disappearance on Elsa to get rid of us both and claim the throne for themselves. Lohengrin was sent from Montsalvat, the land of the Holy Grail. Endowed with the secrets of the Grail, he was invincible. But once the oath was broken, he was mortal. Elsa's question, which was planted in her mind by Ortrud, finally unlocked the spells that protected him. He can no longer protect you or I, Elsa. His body is burned up, and his spirit is returned to Monsalvat. No one spoke. Our minds were reeling. The silence was heavy with foreboding. Then, 
The girl spoke softly, as though only to herself. How wonderful! And with a soft smile at her lips, she repeated, How wonderful! And then fell to the ground, dead. Perhaps, endlessly pulled to and fro by the plans of others, her heart finally could bear no more. Perhaps she went to Montsalvat to be with the knight. I never discovered the truth. The ruined city was rebuilt, named Antwerp, with Gottfried, its duke. The reign of Telramund has slowly faded to a legend that very few wish to recall. For my part, I could not stay. I got as far away as possible, taking a ship to England, and working my way across the land until I finally found service here in the city of Cardiff, guarding these docks through the night watches, telling my story to those who would listen. I thought I left it all behind me, but perhaps I am still haunted too much by the past. For three weeks ago, beneath the new moon, I saw a black ship crossing Cardiff Bay, bearing the crest of Telramund. And in the streets each night since, I have seen more and more of the tall, devil-faced troops I remember so well. I should warn people. I should tell the Lord of the Castle. But who would believe me here? You will have to find out for yourselves. Lohengrin Remixed was produced by Welsh National Opera Max Department. Welsh National Opera Orchestra were conducted by Thomas Blunt. Excerpts of the music were remixed and reimagined by pupils from St Mary Redcliffe School, Bristol, City Academy, Bristol, North Leamington School, Leamington Spa, and Saltley School, Birmingham, working with DJs DJ Switch, aka Tony Culverwell. DJ Rackabeat, a.k.a. Adam Volson, Josh Tucker of Real Sound Studios, Bristol, and composer Pete M. Wire. Editing facilities were provided by The Station, Bristol, and Blue Whale Studios, Birmingham. Producers for Welsh National Opera Max were Caroline Alford and Orsa Malmsden. Lohengrin Remixed was written by Pete M. Wire and narrated by Roger Watson, with Sidney Ray White as Elsa. Arrangement and production of the final recording was by Pete M. Wire. Lohengrin Remixed was supported by the Owen Family Trust, Baron Davenport's Charity, Saintbury Trust and the Lark Trust. <laughs>